Awesome. Open up your guys' Bibles to the book of John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is where we are going to be. All right. Man, there's no newcomers today. That's great. That means the Lord has a special word for this church. Um, I just want to start off by saying thank you guys uh, for those of you who've been praying for us. Um, we just had our third baby boy like three, four weeks ago. So um, thank you guys so much. Um, his name's Beniah, so he's, he's awesome. Uh, so we just thank you. Thank you guys for those of you who've been dropping off food. We really appreciated that as well. Um, and so we just, we really feel the love at this church and the family here. So uh, we're super blessed and uh, love you guys. Um, you can continue to be praying for us because, you know, if anyone's had a baby before and you understand that newborn life, it can be hectic. Um, and so that's kind of what we're going through now. I definitely get more sleep than Jamie, uh, my wife, um, but you can be praying for her. Because not only do we have a, a, a newborn, but she's also homeschooling our two other boys at the same time. So that can kind of create some mayhem in the angel home. And so uh, homeschooling is tough. Um, I got to do it just for like a little bit. And I was so like emotionally and physically taxed. Like I, there were some days I was like, you know, just holding it in. Um, so those of you guys who do homeschool, like moms and dads, you guys are my heroes you guys are awesome. And supposedly, homeschoolers uh, come out smarter than the other kids. Is that true? Do we have any homeschoolers in here? Who is homeschooled? Raise your hand. Homeschool? Did you guys turn out smarter? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, anyways, um, so um, I'm still in school. So apparently, I didn't homeschool because I'm still in. Um, and a lot of times, people ask me why I'm still in school. And, you know, I'm finishing up my last year of seminary. And, um, and, and it's a question I get. It's like, man, why are you still in school? Like, you're already a pastor, so why are you still going? You know, and, and for me, there's a level of studying and growth that school kind of holds me accountable to. Um, and so I want to continue to be to, to grow and be better equipped to lead and, and teach um, and build up the church to the glory of God. So I know the why, but sometimes I forget the why and school can become a little burdensome. So I actually like being asked this question of, of why, right? Why do you do the things you do, right? All the time and the energy and the sacrifice that we put into things. And I think it's, it's when we forget the why behind what we do, those things can be kind of burdensome, right? If you ask yourself, hey, why do I, why do, I do the job that I do? You know, why do I, you know, is it, you know, providing for my family or living out my passion? Or maybe it's, it's none of those things, but we ask ourselves why. Why do I labor the way that I do to care for my children, Right, because kids get crazy and sometimes you just want to kind of like take a break, maybe send them off somewhere. And so remembering the why behind we care for our children and the importance of um, parenting, right? And so Jesus is going to ask us some tough questions today, similar questions, and have us uh, to really wrestle with the why behind our faith. Why are you a Christian? Why do you follow him? Today, Jesus is going to hopefully um, answer that question. And if somebody asked you today, hey, why do you follow Jesus? What would you say? What would you say to that question? And so today, whether you're a Christian or you're seeking him out, Jesus will be hopefully um, giving us some answers. And, and maybe today you feel like your, your spiritual life has become stale. 
Uh, maybe you feel a little bit dull spiritually. Maybe you feel like your heart's been kind of disoriented, maybe in unrest. And you're, you're asking, man, what, what am I missing? What's going on? Why do I, why do I feel spiritually shallow? Well, Jesus is going to present himself in such a profound way that's going to answer some of the questions that our hearts wrestle with. So we're going to look into it. John chapter 6, we're in verse 22. Verse 22, um, and we're going to go all the way through verse 40. We're not going to read it all one time. We're going to kind of walk, walk through this thing scene by scene. Um, so look down with me, verse 22, and it says this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your love and your grace in our lives. Lord, that you don't ever let us get too far. Uh, you don't let us stray too far from you. And, and you always pull us back um, by your spirit. And I just pray that this morning um, that you would speak to us, that we would hear from you, your truth, your word, and that it would truly transform our hearts. We'd be reminded of the grace displayed in the cross and the glory found in our relationship with Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so context. So I know we've been in a prayer series for the last like four weeks. So we've actually, before that, we were in the book of John. Um, and so we're, we're jumping back in the book of John. And what we've been seeing, man, is, you know, Jesus, right, God comes and, and then he's, you know, veiled in flesh, right? So he comes in, God in person, comes in in the person of Jesus to bring in the kingdom of God, to restore um, humanity back to God, right? And so we're seeing this played out. And so Jesus is performing miracles, calling his disciples, bringing in his kingdom, um, and is kind of playing out. And then the, the, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, aren't too happy about this because he's kind of like, you know, turning their whole thing upside down and, and going out to sinners and like, what's going on? And so what's happened more recently is that Jesus just finished feeding the 5,000. He multiplied the bread and the, the loaves and the fishes. And then he walks on water, right, and comes to his disciples, gets in the boat, kind of demonstrating his power. And so we're in that. That just happened. So when we jump in today's passage, that literally just happened. And that's why it's, it started off by saying, they're like, hey, man, where's Jesus? Where did he go? Like, you know, where did the, our Panera Bread Express? Like, where, where is he, right? And they want this food. In the, uh, the last part of the feeding, it said that they wanted to make him king. Like, man, this guy can, like, give us food anytime we're hungry. Like, we want to make him our king. And, and not because he's actually the king of kings, um, but because of the miracles that he did that fed their stomachs. Or they saw a power that could be useful for them. Like a possible political king that they could use like all other worldly kings. And Jesus says, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So right out the gate, we see Jesus, he's cutting straight to the heart, examining the motives of the people, 
Right? It's calling them out and saying, you're following me for your selfish and physical material desires. You don't actually understand what I'm really trying to show you through the signs. And they're trying to be all casual, like, you know, like, oh, how'd you get here, Jesus? Like, oh, how long have you been here? And like, you know, like, I mean, you have any more of that bread? Like, we'll take any kind of bread, French bread, sourdough bread, like bread. Like, they're just, they're wanting their stomachs to be filled. And Jesus isn't fooled by their selfish attempts to follow him. And he's not fooled by ours either. He knows where we're at in our relationship with him today. He knows the things that we come to him for. The expectations that we place on him. Right? Whether they're Christ-centered or self-centered. He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows why we're here this morning. And so Jesus sees right through the heart of the crowd and says, you don't even know what I have to offer you. You're only after these things that are going to perish. Right? And so our first point is don't work after that which perishes, but that which lasts. Um, something that I like to do a lot is go to this place called Dave and Buster's. Anybody like, who's who my Dave and Buster's people in here? Yeah, oh, Auntie Lita. Yes. All right. Anyways, that was cool. Um, Dave and Buster's, right? So I, I really like it. My wife hates it. I love it. Um, I have a blast every time I go. And I think the people who made Dave and Buster's are absolutely genius, right? They're like, okay, everybody loves Chuck E. Cheese. How do we make Chuck E. Cheese for adults, right? And so they bring these games that are way cooler, bigger, better versions of Chuck E. Cheese. They bring in better food. Then they put a bar in the middle of the game room so they can get people drunk they can spend more money, right? So this whole thing is genius. And so if you've ever been there, I'm assuming some of us have spent way too much money playing games. I don't know. Maybe that's not you. I'm not going to call you out on that. And, um, and so people will just like, you can like load your card or load your app and you're just trying to, you know, like play all these games. And a lot of people are trying to win tickets, right? Because they want to get their kid the big stuffed animal or maybe just get themselves like a little Dave and Buster's basketball. You know, that's cool. Or like a drone. Like you can get a lot of really cool things at Dave and Buster's. And, um, and so we're just spending all this money. And then all of a sudden like we run out of, you know, tokens or whatever. And so you just reload, reload. And man, you're just, you're just like spending, spending, spending just to get this little stuffed animal. That costs like maybe $10, but like you drop like hundreds of dollars into this game and these games. But it doesn't bother you because you're winning. You're like, yeah, I'm winning. I'm winning. And then look what I get to bring home, a teddy bear. And you're just like, and nowhere else would you be satisfied with what you get, right? You're, you're working. You're laboring for these things that are really headed to the dump, right? Like anybody here have something from Dave and Buster's from like five years ago still? Yeah, no, I mean, if you do, that's special. But it's, it's you know, most, most likely it ended in the dump. It's perishing somewhere. And we labor so hard that night or day or whatever to something that's just going to perish. And Jesus is like, that's, that's kind of how we are with life sometimes. It's kind of how we are with life. And so Jesus, he, he made his way to the synagogue at Capernaum, um, which, which verse um, 59 tells us. So he's at the synagogue, and the same crowds that he fed made their way to him, and they continued to make their demands on Jesus. And Jesus like, do not work for the food that perishes, but food that endures to eternal life. See, we see Jesus is like, if you would only know what I have to give you, it's way better than the Dave and Buster's prizes that you're seeking after. And in the midst of this like, kind of self-seeking, um, you know, moment that these crowds are having, they're coming to Jesus for their, in their selfishness. Our God is so good that even in this moment, our gracious king is offering them eternal life. They're coming with, to him with wrong motives, but he's so gracious that he's still offering them eternal life. 
So he speaks to the crowds, which most of the time in the word refers um, to the world, right? The, the crowds kind of represent the world. And we see the world kind of going after these temporary desires, right? Things that are going to make them feel good in the moment, make them feel secure in the moment. And Jesus wants to give them so much more. He wants to offer them life. He wants to offer them life. So in, in English, we've got one word, life, right? But we, we use it in different ways, right? So it could be like the, the lifeguard resuscitated that man to life, right? And then we could say like, hey, how's life, right? Like, uh, are you living the good life, right? And so we can kind of use it in these two different ways, but it's one word. See, in the Greek, they actually split that up. They're a little bit more direct, and there's two words for that. Um, one is bios for the, for the biological, physical life. And the other word is zoe, which kind of means quality of life or like the essence of living. And the word that Jesus is using here is zoe. See, the life that he's talking about is that which makes life worth living. Meaning, energy, exhilaration, joy. What gives meaning to your life. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus says that the bread of heaven is that. The bread of heaven is not eternal existence, it's eternal life. It endures to eternal life. This is what the bread of heaven is. The, the, the quality of life, it's radical life, it's ultimate life, it's zoe. See, now Jesus points out also that every person has a lot of options in front of them to go find this zoe, right? We all have to have it. We all, we all want it. We all have to have it. Existence isn't enough. Right, and so we go and we all try to find our life, our Zoe somewhere, right? The world goes after it and they try to find it in many things, anything that will make them feel good, make them feel secure. Right, so the world will go after, you know, money. Money makes me feel good. Status makes me feel good. Success at whatever cost makes me feel good. Right, the cost of my family, the cost of my marriage, the cost of my mental health. But you know what? I'm finding my Zoe in success. So all of that, I'm just, it doesn't matter. I'm going after it. We labor towards these things. Some people, it's getting a certain amount of likes on their post. You know who you are, right? And, and there are some people who really, like, they make a living off of that. Like, you guys have seen this. Like, you can make bank for just being liked and influential online. And it's this really big thing right now. Um, and, and, so, and so their Zoe, their life is, is, is how many likes that I get, how many reposts, how many views did I get. And they, they earnestly go after these things. Like, there's, like, seven-year-old millionaires. Like, that's kind of, that's messed up. Like, I'm, I'm okay, but I mean, that's like messed up, and, and that's the world that we live in, and so, but they're going after these things, right? Security makes them feel good. A, a relationship that, that doesn't honor God makes them feel good. So people go after these things. They labor after these things, thinking that somehow it's going to nourish their soul that was made for eternity. See, the Bible says in, in the book of Ecclesiastes that God put eternity in the heart of man. Or there's, there's, there's eternity in our heart. And then what happens is we try to fulfill that with temporary things on this earth. And it just won't work because only an eternal God can satisfy that eternal longing. But we go after things that will ultimately perish. And I know it might seem that I talk about this a lot. But that's just because Jesus talks about this a lot. Because a lot of times it's these very things that, that make us go after bread that rots instead of the bread of life. See, we see Jesus do this all the time in the Gospels. He goes to uh, the woman at the well, right, and who, who's had many different relationships. And he's like, you're going to all these men. You're going to all these relationships, these, these dirty gutters that will not satisfy you. I have water that will satisfy your soul. He goes to the, the woman caught in adultery. 
He says, man, man you're, you're going to this relationship because you think you're going to find some amount of pleasure or emotional comfort that, that he will never give you, but I can give you that. Now he goes to a very successful tax collector's house. He redefines what success is in the kingdom of God and then says, salvation has come to this home. He goes to the rich young ruler who ended up walking away sad from Jesus because he, was, he couldn't stop laboring after money. Money had, had ended up being more precious to him than Jesus. See, some of these things like committing adultery are, are absolutely sin, but, but working hard at your job and, and making money, providing for your family, getting a raise, retiring, traveling the world, these are not bad things. They could actually be enjoyed to the glory of God. But you see, when the world goes after these things, they labor after them as ultimate, as the end of all ends, they're, they're zoe. And they think that it's going to somehow satisfy that, that longing, but they're wrong. And, and life testifies of this over and over again. And see, so we can, again, we can experience God's, like, his life and his glory and his blessings through these things. But sometimes we turn those things into our lives. And they leave our souls wanting. Everyone is searching for life. Searching for Zoe, whether it's money, wealth, power, beauty, intellect. And we go after these things. We worship these things. We use our lives. We labor our lives to trying to attain these things. And it's crazy that even a, a famous author and atheist, his name was David Foster Wallace, he kind of figured this out. And at a commencement speech he was giving at Kenyon College, he said this. Everybody worships. The only, thing we get to, the only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing Jesus Christ or Yahweh is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over those to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And so the author of life, Jesus, says, don't labor after these things. They don't last. They're going to perish. And Jesus is saying, let me be your end. Let me be your life. You will always have enough if I am your treasure. You've been created in the image of God. So the value and the beauty you have, this world cannot validate. I will be your power. It's okay to feel weak. I will be your strength. I will be enough for you. I will be your wisdom. I will be your truth. No amount of worldly intellect can come against what I am and what I have for you. Let me give you eternal life. Come to me and receive eternal life. Life now with me. See, later on in John, Jesus has this moment with God the Father, and he's praying to God the Father on our behalf. Um, and, he, and he prays this prayer. He says, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, a lot of people think that eternal life starts when we go to heaven. But as you guys can obviously see, is that eternal life starts when you enter into that relationship with Jesus. See, this word know most of you guys, a lot of you guys know this. It's that word gnosko in the Greek. It means to know by experience. Not just this kind of intellectual, I've read my Bible a few times. I've heard about God. It's, no, I have a relationship with Jesus. I know him intimately. When that happens, your eternal life starts. This is what Jesus is inviting people into. The eternal life is to know Jesus, have that experience with Jesus, an ongoing relationship with him. Eternal life starts now. 
See, the most valuable thing anyone can attain in their life is this relationship. It's more value than anything else we can acquire or work for in this world. Because in the, in the incredible thing is when we make Jesus our treasure, right, when we make our relationship with him ultimate, it actually makes sense of the rest of life. It brings true meaning to every experience. It doesn't take away, but it grounds our world in reality and we get to see the glory of God in everything. And so are we living into that relationship? Are we living into that relationship or are we imitating the world and working and laboring for things that are going to perish? Forgetting that Jesus has invited us to do life with him, for him to be your life. See, and we can, again, we can still go after some of those things that I was mentioning in a God-glorifying, kingdom-building, Christ-exalting way where we get to use our life for his purposes in the everyday, ordinary, and extraordinary things. But are we doing that? Jesus is talking to the crowd, and he's like, man, you guys are working for things that are going to perish. Work for the things that endure to eternal life. And so they naturally ask, well, what are the works of God? Right? How do we, how do, we do this? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, that you believe in Jesus. So what is the work? What is the labor? Right, the labor is faith. Right, the labor is stop laboring. The labor is stop working and trust Jesus. Believe in him. And this is a profound statement at the time because all the people in the crowd have been taught by the religious leaders that you need to work a certain way to be approved by God. You have to fulfill all these things, not realizing that the law, that the Old Testament was just really there to point the fact that we can't and we need to put our faith in a coming Messiah, a coming Savior. And so they're like, wait, what do you mean? What do we have to do? All the other rabbis tell us we need to do all this stuff. What do you mean just believe? See, our natural bent is to somehow work and, and earn and acquire by our own means everything in this life. This is how we operate. It's how we've been, we've been taught our whole lives. you got to work for almost everything. And so we try to go to God in the same way and we're like, God, how can I earn salvation? Earn your love. How can I, how can I work to get in a better place with you, God? I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but okay, I know, I get that, but just tell me what I need to do. And Jesus says, now this is the work of God. Believe in me. See, Jesus was heading to the cross, making a way for man to be restored to God. And he tells the crowd, believe in me. See, here's the thing. We've all sinned. We've all fell short of God's expectations and sinned. And the penalty of that sin is death and eternal suffering in a place called hell. And none of us can obtain forgiveness of sin and righteousness before God by our own merits or works. See, the Bible says none of us are good, no, not one. We couldn't do it. So the good news is Jesus did it for us. That Jesus lived the perfect life that I and you could never live. That he died in our place on the cross taking the penalty for our sin, and he rose from the dead, defeating death and securing for us eternal life. So that when we believe and we put our faith in Jesus, like he's telling the crowd right now, our sin is forgiven and righteousness and eternal life are given to us. And so the work of God is to believe. Believe that it's already been done on your behalf, and now we just get to receive eternal life. It's a gift. It's not about the works that you can do, but the works that have been done for you. And he says, believe and receive. And a lot of us are still like, okay, we get that. We've heard that sermon before. But no, 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 just tell me how I can, what do I need to do? How can I, can I work 
And the beauty of the gospel is this in Ephesians. It says that it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not of work so that we can't boast. It's not on us. God gets all the glory. The good news is that his glory and our good are intertwined in the gospel. The good news is that in spite of our inability and our sin and our enemy-making lifestyle, that while we were sinners and enemies of God, Jesus died for us. This is the love of God. He paid the price for our sin, doing everything he needed to do to rescue us back to himself. We couldn't do it. So Jesus did. They're there like, just tell us what we need to do. And he's like, you can't. Believe in me. Trust in me. See, the profound truth is this, is I'm not saved, loved, or accepted based on my performance, but on Christ's performance on my behalf. So as believers, we can't get our way back into God's good graces because we never left. Because Jesus has given us his righteousness, so God sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So stop laboring for something that's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Verse 27 says that God the Father put his seal, he set his seal on Jesus. God, like a great king with his great seal, stamped the person of Jesus that marks not only where he comes from, but the authority that he carries. And Jesus says, I've been sent, I've been given the heavenly seal to live and die on your behalf. Trust in me. And so what happens when we believe and we turn from our sins is God gives us the Holy Spirit and then we start living for God. Rivers of living water flow out from us and our lives are transformed. We don't earn God's love, we're given God's love and that love transforms us. So the things that you could do for God, that the work that you could do for God is not to earn salvation or earn his favor, but it's for his glory. Like, I want to live for God. I want to glorify him. Not to earn anything, but in response to the gospel that Jesus had everything needed so I could know him, be forgiven, and live with him forever. And so you would think that the, the crowd at this point in time would get, Jesus is like, man, the Father set his seal on me. I'm doing all these miracles. I'm literally giving you words of eternal life. You would think that the crowds would get, man, this guy is legit. That he's been sent by God, but, but that's not what's going on. Look down with me in verse 30. And so the crowd, they say to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He, that is Moses, gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, our second point is this, don't go after the bread that rots, but delight yourself in the bread of life that restores. You guys ever hear the phrase, you are what you eat? Yeah, so diet um, has kind of become a big thing in the recent. Now, I know dieting has been around for a long time. Like some of you guys, man, I was doing the Jenny, the Jenny Craig diet and the South Beach diet when you're in diapers. And I get that. Um, but in the past few years, there's been this kind of the rise of like, you know, like the paleo diet, the keto diet. Some of you guys are on this diet right now. You're smiling. Um, right? And, and you guys are like, I mean, it's, it's, it's gotten so big that Costco has literally put its stamp of approval. Like when Kirkland like backs you, like you're legit. Right? And so you go to, you go to Costco, there's like, 
like the paleo butter bars and like the keto muffins, right? Like keto dog food, right? They got everything. And, um, and so you just see like this, our, 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 our thoughts of, of like kind of just our health has been changing, right? The whole gluten-free, carb-free, all these kind of things. We've been more concerned with our diet. I remember growing up, there were like every house had like soda in it and like McDonald's was the best thing since sliced bread. Like we all loved it. Like what's wrong with that? Um, and I think there was this moment in culture that we realized that, man, health's kind of important. Like maybe our diet's maybe an actually important part of our lives. Like maybe we should think about what we eat. And so we have this crowd coming to Jesus and they're definitely not on the no-carb diet. They're like, no, we'll take all the bread. We'll take all the bread. Um, yeah, you paleo guys, you guys can have the fish. We'll take the bread, right? And, um, and we're seeing these people, they're, they're hung, what, what they're hungry for, these things that they're, they're craving for are going to reflect their spiritual state more than the text lets on. And so in a culture that's so, un- so concerned with our food diet and our health, which is super important, are we as concerned about our spiritual health as we are about our physical health? Our spiritual intake as we are about our physical intake. Now some of you guys are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I love soda. I eat McDonald's all the time. I'm fine, you know. And you know what? Good news. We have a lot of medical personnel in this church that we'll just keep an eye out. We love you guys. We'll be praying for you guys. We got that. We're good. But, but really, how's our spiritual health? Have you, have you asked that lately? See, the crowd literally has the Son of God in front of them. He's offering them eternal life for their soul. And they're like, yeah, can we just get another loaf of bread? Like, can we just get some material goods over here? And I'm challenged by how much this can reflect our own hearts. Like, and I think it's staggering that they're, that they're still, like, questioning God. And then they're like, what sign do you perform to prove that you're sent? Like, can you just get us more bread? Like, they're obsessed. And I mean, they actually have the audacity to speak to the one who called Moses from the burning bush and say, hey, why aren't you more like Moses? Like he provided manna in the wilderness for 40 years. Like your one little one day act, that was cute. But if you're really sent from God, like why don't you just, you know, set up a bakery, hang out there so we can just come and eat whenever we want. Right, this is what they want. They were still going after the blessings and miracles given instead of trusting in the one who's giving it, right? The, the people, they were delighted and satisfied the, by the product of the miracle and not trusting in the person of the miracle. Right? The, the whole point of the miracle was to point to himself. Like, I'm the source of life. Like, all of this was pointing to him and they're completely missing it. One of the church fathers, Augustine, writes that, that in, here in the Gospel of John, that John shows us how Jesus immediately fills their souls with his word, whose bodies he had earlier satisfied with bread. But how many there are who seek Jesus only to gain some temporary benefit. Jesus is scarcely ever sought for Jesus' sake. See, Jesus semi-rebukes them and says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Like, it's me. Like, like Moses was only a sign. Like everything in the Old Testament was pointing to him. Like if you guys don't, haven't picked this up yet, there's a reason why this is all happening during the Passover. Or there's a reason why Jesus is multiplying the bread and feeding people, God's people, during the Passover. See, Moses was used as a sign, right, to, to pray for man. And so here's the thing. During the Passover, Israel is, rem- is, is remembering God rescuing them from Exodus. 
right? He's, they're remembering God providing for them in the wilderness, remembering all these things, you know, parting the Red Sea, remembering the Passover, Jesus pa- or God passing over the firstborn. All this is happening. And so while they're thinking about that, Jesus is performing all these signs. God used Moses, right? Moses was a vessel and he prayed for manna to come down. But check this out. Even that manna rotted. If you know anything about the Old Testament, the manna that was provided would rot by the next day. It would rot. Right? And check this out. Most of the people who ate that manna in the wilderness didn't even make it into the promised land. Moses might have led the people through the Red Sea. But see, like we learned just last time in John when Jesus walked on water, Jesus commands the sea. He walks on the raging waters. He comes to us in our impossible situations where where savings just seems out of the questions and he does what it takes to come to us and rescue us. Do you see the Exodus story being played out in Jesus' miracles during these times? He's performing these signs. He's like, I'm the greater Moses. I'm the greater mediator. Moses might have rescued you from, from slavery in Egypt, but I'm rescuing you from sin, Satan, and death. Moses might have prayed for bread that perished, but I am the never-perishing bread that leads to eternal life. All of that was just pointing to me. I'm the bread of life. I'm the commander of the waters. I'm the son of God who is here to offer you eternal life. Believe in me. Receive the bread of life and live. This is what he was saying to the crowd. So, of course, they're like, well, sir... Would you give us this bread? Like they're kind of catching on finally, kind of catching on. Like, would you give us this bread? And what does Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, Jesus didn't come just to give bread, but to be bread. And here's the thing, as I think some of us are kind of forgetting the significance of bread back in the day. Right? It's not like today where you can do the no-carb diet. Right? That, doesn't, that didn't exist back then. Like everybody ate bread. Like meat was a scarcity. It was rare. Right? It was, it was, it was a, a celebration that maybe you would eat it. But it was bread that sustained everyone's life. It was a, a sustaining source of people. Check this out. It's kind of like rice in Hawaii. Okay? If I said that there's no more rice in Hawaii, probably half of Hawaii would die, right? Like we would lose half the population because there's no more rice. Right? It's kind of that same thing that if there was no more bread in the land... There's death in the land. Right? And we see that in the Old Testament that they would run out of food and masses of people would die because there was no bread in the land. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. I'm your sustenance. I'm your daily need. I am your life-giving source. So earlier it said that, you know, I, I said that um, some of us came here today and um, maybe kind of feeling a little spiritually malnourished, spiritually dull, maybe. And I was talking about, man, when we receive the Holy Spirit, our lives are transformed, and we've got rivers of living water flowing out of us, and we walk in victory. And I'm, I'm explaining that, but that's not really describing your life right now. But it's more the other side, that kind of spiritually stale, distracted, maybe you feel like a little like malnourished in your soul. And so I, I was been wrestling with this all week because I'm like, man, I believe this. And, and why, why do we struggle as believers? Why could we know the truth, initially receive the bread, walk in victory, but then all of a sudden get spiritually unhealthy? Like what's going on? And so I've been wrestling. And, and the question is this, are we still coming to Jesus as the bread of life? Like are we still coming? Like I know most people have come in here and we realized that we were spiritually empty, that we were dead. 
We gave our lives to Jesus. We ate the bread and we were given new life. Like I realized that. But my question is this. Are we still coming to him? Do we come to him for our sustenance? Do we come from for our satisfaction as a source of our life? See, in, in Ohana groups, we're going over prayer right now. And a few weeks ago, uh, we went over the Lord's Prayer. And one of the lines is there is, give us this day our daily bread. Right? And, we, and, we're, and we're taught, like, man, how important bread was that sustained their lives. And so we ask God for our daily needs, the things that sustain our life. But our greatest daily need is Jesus. And I firmly believe that our spiritual health is directly related to what we are taking in every day. What we are feeding our souls, what we are feeding our minds, what we are feeding our hearts. What are we feasting on? What are we indulging in? You are what you eat. See, the crowd just wanted their immediate worldly physical desires met, neglecting the spiritual needs of their soul. And, and, and I just thought how crazy it was that we can actually, we could do the same thing and we'll, we'll neglect our relationship with Jesus to appease our immediate desire to be entertained or unwind to hours of streaming or doom scrolling or gaming or fill in the blank. Or the screen time nourishment that offers us like $2 white bread from Walmart with like no nutritional value that leaves us hungry and we still go back to it. And I believe that our walking in victory is directly correlated to what we are feasting on with our eyes, with our ears, mind, heart, and soul. What are we feasting on? See, our phones pull our hearts in a hundred directions. Nine out of ten times, they will take our heart off of Christ, take our mind off of his truth, try to convince us to find our source of life and meaning in something other than Jesus. And which is hard for me because, you know, I know that reality. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an Apple guy, right? So I'm like an iPhone guy. I like the iPhone. And there's some pretty amazing things you can do with the iPhone, right? I can't say the same thing about Androids. But with the iPhone, you know, like there's some really great things. Um, and, and, you know, it's like you could, you know, I've, I've sent prayers, you know, in texts. I've counseled people over the phone, right? Like I've, I've listened to great sermons. I've got the Word, the Bible app. If you haven't downloaded that bad boy, download it. Like the Word is right there. Like there's some great things that we can do with technology. FaceTime people who are going through a hard time. It's great. But there's also some not so great things. And so there's that, that struggle The world's narrative, what we read, what we watch, or the conversations at work will constantly tell you to put your trust and hope in something else, to put your hope in a better version of yourself. So work really hard at becoming a better you or, you know, work it really hard at, be, you know, building a better life, building a better empire, right, or, or place our trust in, in some institution or in politics or political leaders or some worldly, you know, you know means of gaining more bread, but not in Jesus, not in Jesus, the one who's supposed to be our center, who's supposed to be our all-consuming passion, mission, and vision of our lives. See, these other things, they will not lead to everlasting life. It doesn't lead to true Zoe, the abundant life. See, once we, we give him our life, he becomes the one we go to. He is our everything. He is our sustenance. He's our sustaining power, our ultimate treasure, our precious savior, the one who gives us life, spiritual life every day, the strength, power, ability to walk through the craziness of this world. Because if you've been paying attention, church, our world is getting crazy. Evermore do we need Jesus. Amen? And so he's calling us, come and feast on me. But we can get so used to eating the crumbs under the table that when he's prepared a whole feast for us, 
He said, come and partake. Let me be your daily bread. And yet some of us are forgetting. We're forgetting to partake in him. We love him. We call ourselves his disciples. We call ourselves his followers. But we're feasting on the things of the world. And so we look good on the outside, but anxious and spiritually dull and malnourished on the inside. You might, hey, you might read your Bible, but, we're, but feasting on the world's bread for the rest of the day. And so the text is asking us today, are we finding our fulfillment in him? Our satisfaction in him? See, all our sin, all our waywardness, all of our secret habits, our discontentment with life situations, our, our restless hearts, the jealousy and the envy that rise up when, when other people get what we want, all of our idolatry, all of these things can be traced back to not being fulfilled and satisfied by Christ, not being satiated by the bread of life. And we forget that because we have Christ, we have the ability to not hunger or thirst. Like we have been given the ability to not hunger or thirst because we have Christ. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you feel spiritually weak? Does your soul feel dry? Come to Jesus. He loves you. He's there. He understands where you've been. And he's saying, come. See, when we come to Jesus daily, he is enough. His acceptance combats our need for applause. His grace frees us from the incessant urge to earn and prove ourselves. His forgiveness overcomes our bitterness so we can forgive others. His mercy that is new every morning sends our shame and condemnation running. His presence restores our soul to what it was created for. His word enables us to see the world how he sees it, to value things like he values things. His glory now revealed in everything moves us to join in with all creation. His holiness moves our heart away from sin towards purity. His divine choosing and using of me fills my life with purpose. His power enables me to bring heaven to earth, to pray and bring down strongholds. His mission, his daily sending me out to the world trumps any vocation that this world offers. His love demonstrated on the cross for our sins, vindicated in the resurrection and victory over death that is consistently applied to my life every day that allows me to know God and live with him and for all of eternity, this is the bread that we need to be feasting on. He is enough. He's enough. He's our life. And I can struggle with this. I can struggle. I'm, I'm not there. Like, I want to be there. I want more of this. I, I can run to imitation bread, fake bread, bread stands that the world offers me that satisfies for like five seconds. And then wonder why my heart and my mind are a mess. Why my priorities are all out of sorts. See, Jesus is the one that I need to be partaking in to love my wife well. He's the one that I need to be partaking in to lead my children well. Right? If I want to love well, live well, lead well, if I want to experience the abundant life, I need to be partaking in him. And if I'm not doing those things well, the question is, what am I partaking in? What am I feasting on? Am I coming to Jesus, the bread of life, every day, partaking, cherishing, looking to, hearing from, spending time with, and walking into the union that I have with Jesus, the Son of God? Because if I do this, there will be a life-sustaining power in my life that can only be explained by Christ's very presence as the bread of life that gives me everything I need from day to day. And so are we doing that? Are we coming to him? Are we not just reading his word to check a box, but coming to hear from him in his word? He has the words of eternal life. Are we praying to him? Are we speaking with him? Are we listening? 
So, so my wife right now, right, she just had the baby, not getting a lot of sleep, homeschooling, right? She's not hitting her 10 chapters a day right now, right? I think we put all these kind of crazy expectations. Well, if I can't do this amount of reading, praying, fasting, we're like, well, then whatever. But God is inviting you into life with him, all of life, not just your 30 minutes in the morning, but all of life. Do you have time to go on your phone? you have five minutes for the phone? You have five minutes for the word. You're like, well, Danny, you don't understand. I wake up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning to drive to work. What do you listen to? What do you listen to? There are amazing things. You can, you can listen to the word. You can listen to heart-nourishing things. How do we spend our time? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to give our hearts enough glimpses of Jesus that our affection rises, that he becomes everything for us. And are we making that space? Are we, are we giving him our time? Are we giving him our attention? Because the moment that I step out my door or turn on my phone, the world tries to pull me in all directions to get me to partake and work for a bread that perishes. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, this doesn't mean that hunger and thirst for our souls won't rise up every day. No, it now means that we know what it's for. Right? We know where to turn. We know what to drink. We know what to eat. We drink down Jesus. We swallow the glory of Jesus. And there's a never-ending supply. This is what we were made for. All other treasures, all other pleasures point to this. Jesus is the all-satisfying end to every longing. And so I ask, church, are we still coming to him? Do we still need him like the daily bread that gives us life? Because if he's not, then today God is calling you to come to him. Our last point is, is this. Whoever comes to Jesus, he will never cast out. See, right after his declaration of him being the bread of life, he drops something heavy. Verse 36, it says that, that though you've seen me, you don't believe. You still don't believe. That you, you've heard everything I've said. You've seen all my miracles and you're still not believing. See, there were many in the crowds that have experienced his miracles and his teachings and didn't believe. So the sad truth is that not everyone's going to believe that they can hear all this. They can see the work of Christ and then harden their hearts against it. And my prayer is that no one here is hardening their heart against the precious offer of life from Jesus. not hardening their heart from their heavenly father, maybe calling them back after a long time away. Now, I don't believe that Jesus is saying this to scare anyone because, because what I love is right after this, Jesus takes the time to address the questioning and doubting heart. So look down with me in verse 37. He says that all that the father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, the good news didn't stop at Jesus being able to quench our hunger and our thirst Right, but that if you believe, that if you come to him, that if you feast on him as the bread of life, if you partake in the Son of God and receive him as Lord and Savior, he will never cast you out. Well, you might, you might be wondering and, and asking, well, what if I messed up? Like, like what if I'm like, like what you said, I'm not feasting on the bread of life. Like I'm actually going to, to everything else. I'm going to all these other worldly substitutes. I've really been slipping. I've been failing. I've been going to every other bread stand but Jesus. What then? I want to start off by saying 
that today you are experiencing the grace of God. This is the grace of God that you hear and that you're hearing these things because he's actually coming to you today, speaking to you and calling you back to himself. Reminding you that it's not your performance or your good works or your being good enough that has given you new life and access to him. But it is Jesus' perfect life over you. Jesus died for your sins. He, di he died for the moments that we run to other bread and indulge in the ways of the world. You can turn from them today. You can turn from those things today. That today that all who are coming to him can be encouraged. That it doesn't matter how many times you've gone to the wrong place for satisfaction. When you place your trust in Jesus, he covers you and he cleanses you once and for all. His righteousness covers and carries you from now until glory. And if he's truly given you a new heart, that heart will always be directed towards God. That even when we fall, we're falling forward and actually moving towards Jesus from that grace. See, Jesus can use no stronger words that he's saying it's literally the will of God for anyone that comes to him, that the Father gives to him, that it's literally his will that he loses nothing. And on the last day, he's going to resurrect them to glory. Jesus is giving the most reassuring words that he could give to anyone who puts their faith in him, that if you come to him, that if you feast on him, you believe on him for eternal life, he will not lose you but will raise you up on the last day. Do you guys hear this good news? Where is our hope, church? Is it in the eternal son? Is it in our future glory with him? He's like, I've been given the authority of the father. He's given me his seal. And everything I do, I only do because I see him doing. And this is his will, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. It is, this is the truth that has fueled the church for 2,000 years. The power that has enabled God's people to make forward movements for the kingdom where no amount of persecution, no amount of wars, no amount of famines, no amount of governments, no natural disasters, no economic crisis could stop them because they were feasting on the bread of life. Now I don't want to get lost in what's happening here. But in this passage it kind of it shows us something super encouraging. There's a comfort in knowing the sovereignty of God in salvation. There's a comfort in knowing that, that I could do nothing to earn it and I could do nothing to lose it. But that God has sovereignly given me to the Son and the Son will never lose me. That no matter how many times I fall on my face or eat the Walmart bread, Jesus is like, I'm going to continue carrying you, pulling you, walking with you and empowering you to live the abundant life, the Christ-centered life, to be used for my glory wherever you are. That in the midst of your distracted living, I'm going to constantly be directing your focus back to me so you see my glory, so you see my vision and my mission. So your heart is so stirred up that even when you fall, that even when you mess up, just like we've seen with his own disciples, he will carry us. He will walk with us. He will teach us and then he will send us out to make disciples of the nations. Jesus sent out his disciples to feed the 5,000. See, Jesus' miracles weren't merely just to demonstrate his power, but what he wanted to use his power to do. He sends out his disciples to feed the 5,000 in the same way he sends us out today. It doesn't matter if you think you're good enough. Jesus was good for you, and he sends you out to a dying world who are in desperate need for the bread of life. Will we give it? We'll be used by our good king to bring people to him. There is no more comfort than this, that God has done everything to save you, secure you, sustain you, and he promises to raise you on the last day because he is good, he is powerful, and his faithfulness knows no end. This is why I'm a Christian. This is what I say to people when they ask why I follow Jesus, because he is the bread of life who offers the world eternal life. 
There could be no more fail-safe decision in your life than to come and feast on the bread. So you can live the abundant life now. So you can live your eternal life now. So you can live on in eternity with him forever. Being excited about our glorified bodies. The Bible says that we are wasting away and that we get to, to be expectant of, of being resurrected to glory. So, so don't let us labor for food that perishes. But store up treasures in heaven and feast on the bread of life and live for the one true king. Believe, receive, and come to the bread of life. He will never cast you out. Amen.